Rodgers on the move. End zone for Adams. He's got it. Touchdown, Packers! The NFL returned recently, and for anyone seeking a break from the unrelenting news cycle around the pandemic or wildfires or the U.S. election, football offers up not just a welcome, but possibly necessary distraction. Will the Chiefs repeat? Will Brady and Gronk bring some of that Pats magic to Tampa Bay? Will Cam Newton make Patriots fans forget that Brady ever played there? All of them potentially great narratives, but... Arguably, the most compelling story to come out of the NFL happened months ago, long before the start of the season. I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gardner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. Chances are you've already seen this. It's a video of NFL players across the league released just days after George Floyd was killed. It immediately went viral, seen by tens of millions of people all over the world, including this guy. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. That's Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL. Goodell's comments were a stunning reversal of policy on the part of the NFL, who had made their antipathy to peaceful player protest pretty clear. Colin Kaepernick probably knows what we're talking about. But what struck me was not just the video or the reversal it prompted, but that the idea to make it came from an NFL employee. He's already been quoted as saying he thought he was going to get fired when he made it, but felt compelled to take action. Now, this raises a few questions. Most notably, why did it have to come to that? Why did an employee have to risk his livelihood to support a cause he believed in? Why would they need to expose their employer to intense public scrutiny in order for that employer to rethink their positions? In business, we hear about shareholder activism, activist CEOs, but is there room for workplace activism? And not just as a problem to be managed or a way of increasing employee engagement or looking good from a corporate social responsibility perspective, but could it be a business driver? Well, our guest on today's episode thinks it may be time for business leaders and their people to start considering these questions. His name is Steve Davis. He's a lawyer, an activist, and a former consultant at McKinsey who's both worked for and advised some of the largest corporations in the world. He's also a regular on the TED circuit and author of the forthcoming book, Undercurrents, which explores major trends or undercurrents that are changing the way people and businesses are approaching activism. He joins us today at The Nexus. The Nexus, a place where people converge and connect. On this podcast, we look at the things that are changing the way all of us do our jobs. We're going to take a quick peek into the minds of those people who are helping us change. Scientists, HR leaders, and experts in human performance. I'm Chris Nelson. Steve, you talk about practical activism in your book. Why not define it for us? Yeah, activism sometimes has either a pejorative or a negative view that people are protesting or engaging on corporate activism or something like shareholder activism, or it's very much like unobtainable, like that's for somebody else. The idea of practical activism is everybody can change the world. There are little ways and big ways. I would argue that we're seeing more and more opportunity for employees of large and small companies who want to engage, to engage across a whole suite of ways and, and levers. Everything from participating actively in more and more affinity groups around environmental or social justice issues going on in their own companies. There's probably a few listeners with a little Milton Friedman on their shoulder saying, this is nice, but 
What does it have to do with making a profit? I think one of the large challenges is people still think of business and for-profit activity being kind of on a different track altogether than social impact. But more and more, I think we're seeing a softening of that line. There's been a number of studies that have shown that companies that gender equity, for instance, in their hiring and corporate culture and their promotion and job development tracks end up outperforming on a bunch of financial metrics. But what's actually more interesting is to see the specific examples. Let me give you just two really briefly. One is I led a global NGO nonprofit that worked on global health innovation for a number of years called PATH. And one of the big efforts PATH's been involved in is the fight against malaria globally. One of the biggest challenges we had is understanding and getting good data. And so we approached a company called Tableau, which is a big software data visualization company. It's now part of Salesforce. And they were like, well, here we go again, another request for philanthropic money. And we said, no, we actually didn't want their money. What we really wanted is the talent and time of their employees who are, you know, top level data analysts, data researchers, and and asked if they would come on board with us. But what happened is the company reported it had all sorts of indirect benefits. First of all, through this commitment, their stock price kept going up. That probably had no direct causation, but it certainly didn't hurt it. But more important, they found that there were employee morale went up because they were giving employees opportunities to work on problems they really cared about. Through this process, they realized that they should be opening new channels for their distribution, which was very useful. And then they recognized that some of their data visualization tools were not actually appropriate for working as well as they thought for certain areas. So it actually helped them improve the product as well. The argument there then is perhaps not always a source for growth, but certainly not a drag on it either. Yeah, I can tell you another example, and I've been involved with quite a few Microsoft or um, AXA, the big French insurance company, or PepsiCo, you know, who've made these enormous commitments to their communities. You know, at AXA, they divested out of tobacco and coal as one of the largest asset management companies in the world. Two, Microsoft has made carbon neutral commitments and invested enormous amount of money in mid-income housing and other kinds of inequity issues and racial inequity. And they were not done without, you know, some pain and challenge. But the, the companies have continued to not only outperform financially most of the markets, but they've continued to attract a new caliber of employees, employ goodwill. There is an important thread, something common to everything you're saying, and that is things like racial equity and gender equity or divesting from tobacco or carbon emitting industries are things that most people and by most people, I mean employees, they can probably support those. Yeah, there's a lot that needs to be directed from the top. But I also think that if it's only something that's top down and sort of a CEO level pet project, there's not a lot of great track record for those having sustainable commitments. I think leaders are learning that the answer will likely not come from their corner office. But the idea is, and the energy will come from unsuspecting quarters of their company or their customer base. And so then it becomes a really critical matter of listening. And I think we've seen a lot of that 
recently in the Black Lives Matter work where my interaction with CEOs of Fortune 100 companies has been, this has been a very important, serious issue for them to really rethink, pay attention to, to understand how this matters in their company and with their employees and with their customers. But it was also a real recognition that they probably weren't going to have the answers, that they were going to have to listen, listen, and then listen again. And I think that's become an important piece of this struggle. Okay, so not hurting the bottom line. Great. Employee engagement in choosing the issues a company supports. Also great. Is there something more? My argument would be that's not the best strategy to say we're going to pick a project that is about education somewhere in the world, but we're an insurance company. Those kinds of things are often short-term or lower impact. Whereas to say we have as an insurance company core assets and capabilities around a certain set of things, and why don't we think about how to use those in a way that you can either deploy them toward more social impact or ensure that in the very work of deploying them in any instance, it's done with as much social consciousness as possible. Right. For example, banks and having banks get behind the idea of financial literacy, which is an educational gap even in developed nations. It's a wonderful example and one in which I know there's some folks that would criticize me or those efforts by saying that's kind of greenwashing or it's still uh, all about making money. And, and my answer is, if in fact, we are seeing social impact, positive social impact, and they are sustainably making that happen through a strong business plan, I think that's a positive thing. You're talking about companies having their activism aligned to their core business function, and also a model where leaders and employee populations are much more collaborative in choosing the kind of things they decide to get active around. What in your mind stands in the way of embracing those particular approaches? I would say one of the barriers is many companies, whether it's board driven or leadership driven or shareholder driven, you know, still believe their only obligation is to their shareholder and maybe their customer versus a more broad obligation to their community and to the world at large and to the planet. This is a big barrier. I think another um, barrier will be kind of the way companies are often structured. So you'll see a lot of really interesting ideas or initiatives or policies being promulgated by a company to say we want to have a benefit on its education. But because it might be sitting in one part of the company and then things change, someone new steps into the role and they change that very quickly. But if the cause aligns to the business, it's less likely to get lost. Absolutely that. And also, you know, it, back to the early topic, if you've, you know, brought along a group of very passionate employees that want to participate and want to give their time and talent to a program, that has a huge amount of power within a company. Good CEOs really do care what their employees are saying and thinking, and they really do want to tap into those passions. Are there hazards for leaders who perhaps don't embrace this? And if so, what are they? There are hazards on almost any business decision you make. And I talked to a lot of the sort of leading CEOs who really made this their uh, mission to find the balance of doing good and doing well. You know, the former CEO of GSK, the former CEO of Unilever, the CEO of Microsoft, et cetera, all people who I know well that would say the risk of working more on the social sector is just figuring out how to manage it internally where, you know, you have metrics, 
if it's just a feel-good project, again, it's seen as sort of a CEO pet project versus something that's more sustainable in the core. For those that choose the other direction to say, we're not going to do this, I think they're seeing real risk in that. First of all, as I've already mentioned, that with you know the next generation of employees, they're getting a lot of pushbacks. You've seen that in the last year here in the United States with walkouts at Google or companies where employees have gone to shareholders and said, we want to see more commitment toward racial equality. And increasingly, you're seeing that with investors asking the harder questions about ESG and social impact. So I think those are all risks that can be handled, but that are faced by people that just want to keep ignoring the social impact issues. As scary as employee walkouts and shareholder revolts can be for some, you know very well that there are or there can be inertia in companies. People will still slow walk things. What do you say or how do you inspire leaders and people to be proactive? The real reason I wrote the book was realizing that there was an opportunity, hopefully, to encourage people with some optimism, that activism was possible of all forms and that we can continue to make progress despite the headlines, which seem so overwhelming or so negative at times. In fact, it was a struggle with the book to say, why am I writing that right in the middle of a pandemic, which I've been very deeply engaged in personally? And would I come across as being wildly naive or wildly out of the loop or irrelevant? But what I recognized is the more I talk to people is they really, when you stop and think about breaking it down into its parts, we are actually continuing to move forward on many, many, many fronts, whether it's on inequality issues, on environmental issues, on a number of things. Now, there are large and very difficult questions. Some are new and emerging, but we're still making that progress. Follow the trend lines more than the headlines, whether it's improvements for girls and girls' education and girls' health in the world, or the trend line of lowering, and we've reduced child and maternal mortality in the world by about 50% in the last 20 some years. Those are incredible improvements that should give us optimism. Don't think you have to go to some sort of big, radical, glamorous, big struggle model. Real changes in the world happen by little steps. Well, I will say Undercurrents is one of the most optimistic books I've read all year. And I thank you for writing it. And thank you for being here. Well, thank you. If you want to read Steve's book for yourself, and I encourage you to do so, it'll be out in early October, wherever you get your books. And if you're thinking it's time for your company to support workplace activism, then let Nexus help. We've been supporting companies for more than 20 years with industry-leading strategies, programs, and products. You can find us at nexuscommunications.com. That's N-E-X-U-S communications.com. And please be sure to like us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to find us. I'm Chris Nelson. Thanks for listening.